We are on Hollywood Boulevard. Thank you for following us here. Welcome back, guys. We know it's been a couple weeks, and um, I think what we had a bunch of TV talk last time, and so now we're back with more theater talk because, as we've said a few times, tis the season, tis the heart of the theater season. Um, we're deep in the middle of of awards talk. All of the big Broadway shows have now just had, well, not all of, but all of the big season ending openings have happened. So um, we've had a busy few weeks and have a few final shows to talk about. And then I know my beloved, Alyssa, say hi. Hi. Would also like to weigh in on her favorites and some not so favorites <laughs> of La Saison. Yeah. So uh, should we talk about well, the most recent ones we've seen? Sure. Should we talk about when we like, when we medium like, or when we don't like? Uh, let's talk about one we liked first. I will say three words to introduce this show. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Uh, can I tell you, that's my favorite movie, or one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies, too. And here's the thing. I think it is a brilliant movie because there's really nothing like it. It's so clever. It's so imaginative. But it is also a story with heart. Like, aside from the fact that Michael Keaton is this, like, vulgar ghoul, I mean, it's about this young girl who is really longing to find her family. And she doesn't quite have it in her dad or stepmom, and she finds it in this dead couple that happens to also be haunting her house. Um, And so what this musical adaptation, which comes more than three decades after the Tim Burton movie does really well, is it gives you all the fun. All the visuals, all the jokes, all the all the like nasty stuff that the Michael Keaton Batman uh, Batman Beale just gave you, um, and then it ratchets up the 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 sense of of mourning and wanting to find a family with the teenage character that was played by Winona Ryder, uh, who's now played by a teen actress named Sophia Ann Caruso. Um, and they've changed the story so that her mother has just recently died. And so her father has not remarried, but is secretly having an affair with the woman that was the Captain O'Hara character. And there is a lot more interaction now between Beetlejuice and um, Delia. Uh, and Beetlejuice is played by Alex Brightman. And Alyssa, what are your thoughts on the actor Alex Brightman? I like him. <laughs> I um, no. To elaborate on that, uh, he he starred and got a Tony nomination for School of Rock back in twenties. 16. 2016, the 2016 Tonys, which, that was the year of Hamilton, but I thought Alex Brightman deserved to win that Tony that year. Um, I think he's great, and I'm happy to see him back in Beetlejuice, which I, I enjoyed him a lot in the role. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he does a lot. He's great. It's a really demanding role. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a real triple threat because uh, he can... He's a really great mover and dance. He dances a lot in this show. He's funny. He can sing. So it's nice to have him back. Yeah, I think he's great. I think he has a real wicked sense of humor. Um, he's great at the physical comedy. I think he brings out the best of everyone who acts opposite him on stage, even the ones who are veterans, let alone the newcomers like and, Sophia. And he's unique. Like I always, we always talk about. Like there's a lot of cookie cutter performers now that 
don't have any unique qualities to them or personality. And, and Alex Brightman definitely has his own personality, his own uniqueness to him. Yeah, I mean, and the show itself, like, you really see the money on the stage. Um, it looks a lot like the the set design, or I should say the art direction from the movie, um, which is not cheap to do. And the, the set keeps folding in on itself, and there's all of these puppets and creatures that are a part of it, a lot of them that replicate creatures from the movie. Because I think the mandate was probably to adapt this. There are certain scenes and sayings and images that have to move with the show and beyond that then you can adapt it and do anything new that you want did they have the waiting room with the shrunken heads they do and is that still in it they do it is and um it's it's doesn't it doesn't happen kind of the same way that we are introduced to it in the movie but it is included okay because i love that scene yeah, no, that's that, uh, some of the stuff happens earlier in the film than it does in the show, and some of the stuff um, is is sort of elongated more within the show than it is in the movie. Um, but they pretty much include so that you can at least like check it off just about everything from the movie, including like Juno the caseworker and all that stuff. What they're able to do on that one stage is pretty impressive. Yeah, it sounds like and, it. And I do want to say. So I can't quite remember, like I wasn't humming any of the songs upon leaving the theater. Um, I, I I do think that the music, which was um, composed by Eddie Perfect, um, is a significant improvement over his other outing on Broadway this year, which was the King Kong musical, um, which you could basically write that all that music off. Um, I think he's doing some more clever stuff. Also, lyrically, it's a bit more clever uh here too but i don't know i really loved it i really thought it was wholly enjoyable and and i think if you don't really remember the movie you have a good time but i think if you hold that movie very dear you get everything you want out of it yeah i really liked it too i mean there's a lot of hate going on towards it for some reason um but i think those are people who made their minds up before they even saw the show like i don't think that's based on coming away from the show, I think that they it wasn't a show for them before they sat down, which I think happens frequently nowadays. Yeah, I do too. Um, but I think I, I think it's it got a Best Musical nomination, which we'll talk about later. But uh, I think it's definitely, I enjoyed it more than The Prom and Ain't Too Proud and Be More Chill and Head Over Heels and pretty much almost everything else. Everything that wasn't Tootsie or Hades Town. Um yeah, I think I think they they do a good job of including the things people love from the movie, and yet they make it their own. Yeah, some choices don't always work. Uh, I don't really know about the Leslie Kritzer. The uh, what's the character's name? Lydia. No, no, Lizzie Kritzer's character. Lydia, right? No. Oh, she's Delia. Delia, Delia. Um, does she? They make her into a life coach, and she follows this self-help guru um, who appears later in the second act. It doesn't always work, but Leslie Kritzer is very funny. This is like the first time I think I've ever enjoyed her in a show. She's very funny. She also um, plays Miss Argentina late in the second act. Miss Argentina is the receptionist in that underworld scene you were talking about from Mm -hmm. the movie. Um, 
and she's very good in that. So it, a lot what, of it works. I think one of the biggest changes from the movie is that the couple, the dead couple that were played by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, their roles have been reduced. Those are clearly featured parts in the show when they were, I think, more like leads in the movie. Um, and it's only too bad. I think story-wise, it, it actually is a wise choice, but it means that the two actors in those roles don't have as much good stuff to do. And it's unfortunate because they're great actors. Rob yeah. McClure, a Tony nominee for Chaplin, the musical, and Carrie Butler, uh, a Tony nominee for Xanadu, the musical, and a fellow alum of your high school. That's true. We went to the same high school. <laughs> um, but, but, but throughout, I mean, this is a solid cast and, um, I think I think it's a great show. I think you have a great time. I think there is a lot. I think it's easy to overlook just how much hard work there is, including like the choreography and movement on that stage. Because I think if you move an inch forward or an inch to the right in some of those scenes, you you take your own life in your hands. There's so much stuff going on with the effects and the props. The lighting is magnificent. The set really is, I think, one of the star sets of the year. Alex Brightman really does great work. Um, I was, I was wholly satisfied. By yeah, the I show. was too. I mean, like I said, there were some things that don't work for me. Um, I don't always think the breaking the fourth wall stuff worked. There is a lot of, there is a good deal of meta commentary about, and usually from Beetlejuice's character about how he knows this is a musical. This is what Broadway musicals often do, addressing the audience directly, that sort of thing. I agree that it doesn't always work. Doesn't, that doesn't always work. Doesn't always I'm pay not off. really sure. Um, Sophia and Caruso is very good in the role, but I'm not really sure about what they've done to her. You know, she basically spends the entire show missing her, her dead mom, and she has a song called Dead Mom, and... And a she wants to go to the netherworld to find her dead mom. But it also gives it some sort of heft and uh, gravitas and sentimentality, which I hate sentimentality, so that's probably why I'm, rea I'm reacting strong, strongly to it. But, um, but otherwise, it's funny. It, it's not too crude. I think it was more vulgar in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think it's a good adaptation. I'm, the effects are great. The set's great. The costumes are great. Yeah, I I really recommend it. Yeah, I do, too. Cool. Also, so this show is running perhaps now and forever at the Winter Garden, which is where Cats used to be. But you know what other show used to be at the Winter Garden Theater before uh, Alex Brightman in Beetlejuice? Alex, Alex Brightman in School of Rock. Rock. Oh, how funny. Which I loved. That was a fun show. Yeah. That was the show for the majority of its, like, two-and-a-half-year run. Um, whenever people asked, oh, what show should I see? That was, like, the safe choice. That was, like, this is a good show. It's not too weird. It's not too heavy. It's not too critic-friendly. It's, like, a show anyone can go at any age and just enjoy. Um, so, so I guess now I tell people Tootsie or Town, But... If you've seen those, see Beetlejuice. So speaking of not too weird. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to continue this uh, transition. <laughs> Heard you saw Gary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dear. Oh, 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 dear. 
And you know, this is where it becomes a challenge to be Doug, the sweet critic of New York. Um, I mean, like, these are the things that Gary had going for it. It's an odd choice to come to Broadway, but it's written by a sort of downtown and critics darling playwright named Taylor Mack, who in the past has been a Pulitzer finalist. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, it stars Nathan Lane. It also stars now uh, an actress named Christine Nielsen, who was bumped up when the original of the show Andrea Martin sustained injuries that forced her to back out of the show. So Christine Nielsen had a smaller part and now she has the second lead. And Tony winner Julie White um, came into the show to play that that featured part. Um, it is subtitled a sequel to Titus Andronicus, which is considered Shakespeare's bloodiest play. Um, but it's a show that very few average theater goers know anything about. Although Game of Thrones did rip it off. They did rip it off. So. They've Lots of people have ultimately ripped it off if you're going to do any sort of, like, bloody battle Well, no, the whole... I was thinking about the pie thing. Yes, they did. Yes. So, um, do you want to describe the premise? I won't... I can't if I even, describe the premise, I'll describe the whole play. But that, <laughs> but that, to me, is one of the deficits of this show, which, spoiler alert, we both didn't like. Um... It doesn't actually have a plot. It only has a premise. And its premise is slim and and really sophomore. Yes. Yeah, so basically what Taylor Mac does is he takes three very, very minor characters from Titus Andronicus, the clown, the maid, and the midwife, all sort of like working class going to say blue collar but that's in the <laughs> lower class working class you know the sort of grunts of society and puts them forward you know central sort of like a rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead right takes these these real minimal characters and and creates a play where they're the focus um and basically what Gary, the clown, played by Nathan Lane, and Janice? I think it's Janice. Janice, the maid, played by Christine Nielsen, are doing is cleaning up the bodies after the carnage of Titus Andronicus. Um, and Santo Lacosto did a great job with the set. There's piles and piles of these bodies, these corpses. Um... So you, it's basically a play about who cleans up after the devastation, the, the of, devastation war. of war and how leaders um, create war and, and havoc and bloody messes and who has to clean up. And then he goes in, then Taylor Mac goes into the value of the artist and I don't know what happens. <laughs> wow, it seems like there's an awful lot going on here. There's, but, there but, there's, is, but there isn't, because, I mean, I guess Taylor Mack is trying to tie it into the Trump regime of, like, you know, people, you know, the leaders are essentially full of shit, and um, it's this, the lower guy, the, the lower class or the working class or... But basically, he comes out and know. says all of this yeah. through, through the There's Nathan Lane character. There's nothing really left to describe about it and because we're, that's what it and, is. And we're told this very early in the show. So it's really like a, 
a sketch TV sketch that is absurdly protracted. Right, and it's it's there's a lot of fart jokes. There's like a lot of it's a lot of bathroom humor jokes. Yeah, yeah like the corpses fart, and there's. Um, All sorts of scatological yeah, humor. Yeah, like the corpses have like very phallic things happening. And, yeah. Um, but it's sort of like all in the service of what? To yeah. what? To what greater good? I don't know. And tons of tons of reviews are like, we don't know what's going on here, so it's genius. And it's like you don't know what's going on here because it's a poorly written play. And then like. Uh, Nathan Lane and Christine Nielsen will have these very long, tearful soliloquies about, I don't know what, like, Christine Nielsen is the maid to Lavinia, who, if, you know, Titus Andronicus is is the daughter who gets raped and has her tongue and hands cut off, um, so she has a whole Mom. long, it's really a soliloquy, but... It is a soliloquy. Tearful soliloquy um, about... Lavinia, and it's like, well, where did this come from? What are we doing here? It's, what a, is it's a complete tonal shift away from the the whole feel of the play until then. And Julie White, it comes, feels cheap. And Julie White comes in, and she um, does the thing I hate most in theater, which is adults running around screaming. She just screams for forty five minutes. Um, and I really don't, I have no way, like, I didn't even catch the point that, like, Gary is trying to put on a musical. Like, I have no idea what's going on in the play. And I don't think, it, I don't think I missed anything. No. It's just, like, we have these three great actors. We have a very elaborate set. You know, no, you know, money was no option. It's a Scott Rudin production, so it's the best of the best. And it looks good. It has a high pedigree, so it must be amazing. And Taylor Mack is a critic's darling. Who, yeah, a very protected uh, child. He's a MacArthur genius, a Pulitzer nominee. Let's talk about that show that he was a Pulitzer finalist for, the 24-hour play. Look, we've talked about this before. I just, I, the Pulitzer committee apparently judges based on the script. Now, not a production, not a staging, just the script. Like paper. But the 24-hour history of, what is it? It was the history of music or something. Yeah, which basically described the gay experience over the, you know, 240 years since the founding of the country. It wasn't original music, am I right? Like, he was I didn't see it, but I believe it was not original music, yeah. I don't really know how this could be counted as drama. I am willing to hear anyone who isn't a Taylor Mac stan come (laughs) at me, like to describe exactly what was so great about it and how it's a drama because I don't think it's... I don't know how that could be a pristinely dramaturged work on the page. But I also think that, like, they're really pushing Taylor Mac... um, As this important voice. Yeah, MacArthur genius. Like, we've been saying he he goes by he and Judy is another is a pronoun that he that he creates but he also uses he uh he's non-binary or um gender Gender fluid fluid. so you know I think people gravitate towards him because he feels important and there's diversity and representation there but 
Gary is a piece of crap. I'm going to say it's nonsense. Like, right. And when we say things like this, this is not us trying to diminish anyone who is non-binary or gender fluid or anything. It is us saying the work does not hold up to the scrutiny. And and no one should get a free pass. Right. And a lot of the reviews are like, well, it's so great that it's not great, but it's so great that this is on something like this is on Broadway. And it's like, what is this something on broad like something like this on Broadway, quote unquote? Because, like I said, it's a Scotland production directed by George C. Wolf, starring a, two Tony winners and a Tony nominee. Um, with incredible sets and costumes and lighting like it's not. It's not it's not like what like what the Constitution means to me, even though I'm not a huge fan of it. It's like that's an impress that's impressive that this Heidi Shrek who worked with the with Club Thumb, who did this little play about her her life and her own family, is a big hit on Broadway. Like that's impressive. But not like, you know, Gary that has the best of the best, uh, that opened it didn't open cold, it I think it had a world premiere somewhere else, but that essentially opened untested on Broadway. Right. Like, yeah, I can only imagine like, the changes that may have taken place had it had a real out-of-town tryout, like a real development stage. I mean, I guess I'm sort of scratching my head with with how this did come to Broadway because it really is, I mean, apart from the sort of, you know, star, the starry and impressive theater names that are in it. Like it just is kind of a bit of a head scratcher for, you know, because we, the, 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 the tourist crowd buys the tickets mostly. Um, and when you're sort of presented with Beetlejuice and Gary, I think you're going to pick Beetlejuice. Right. Well, I think Nathan Lane's a draw. Also, I mean, this is a limited run, though. Yeah, and it's not doing too well, gross wise. Like Nathan Lane, I guess is a draw, but I don't think he's the draw that people really think he is. I mean, he. I think it's. I think it's project dependent for him. It is. His co-stars because the front page was a big hit, but he also had John Goodman, John Slattery, and a plethora of other great names. Angels in America didn't sell out the way they thought it was going to sell out. And it's Angels in America and he had Andrew Garfield. So, I mean, like things he did like November and Butley and the Nance, like they didn't really they do didn't. well. And, and the thing is, I mean, Nathan Lane is one of the biggest Broadway stars of his generation, but he's been doing so much stage recently true. that there is no excitement about his return. If you will. like, he's now become a very reliable force who's done less TV and film and doing this play and this play and this play. So it's not like if you don't catch him here, then you won't get a chance to catch Nathan Lane again. You probably just have to wait another nine to 12 months and to have an opportunity. I also think that the title is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with that. I think the title yeah. is terrible. And like, that was a problem. I thought like a doll's house part two was going to have, but that was a significantly better play in every aspect. Um, but my, my thing about like how it came to Broadway, I think Scott Rudin, Scott Rudin's very smart and we all know that, but he seems to have his finger on the pulse of like what playwright is making a stir in the downtown scene. 
what, whatever that is. Anyway. Like, he brought A Doll's House Part 2, which was a Lucas Nath play to Broadway, completely untested. No one had seen it, heard it. It was a ridiculous idea, and it was a big hit. Like, he took Taylor Mac, and he's like, put a play untested on Broadway, get seven Tony nominations. Uh, we know Jeremy O'Harris has a Scott Rudin commission, whatever that mm-hmm. means. So I think, you know, he's, I think this is his thing of like, look, I, I discovered, like I gave them a big break. I just, Oh, he also did the same to Stephen Karen with the humans. So I think this is all part of Scott Rudin's like master plan. Yeah, and he, balance, and he balances it with, it's like they say, like, you know, to movie stars, do one for them and one for you. You do a big hit so you can do something smaller for you. Mm-hmm. He will balance that by, with, like, big moneymaker, like, sure things, like a Hello, Dolly, or the To Kill a Mockingbird play adaptation or things like that. So he's not put you know, he's not resting all of, putting all of his eggs in, like, these, like, indie writer baskets, but he does balance it, and if you are lucky enough to be one of those chosen few, it can change your whole life and career. Right, and it's pay- mm-hmm. you know, there's a payoff. Like, Doll's House Part Two is now the most produced. produced play in the country, and I don't know if he gets a cut. Or, I don't know if he has, still has. But, I mean, he looks like a genius for giving that a chance. Like, he gave the flick an open run at the Barrow Street. You know, yeah. he's... I mean, he's canny. He's not discovering these new yeah. writers, but he's finding he really, them. He's fresh. elevating them. Yeah. He, he finds them fresh out of the gate, and, and he or people around him bring them to his attention, and he picks them up and carries them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, say what you want about and, him, but. And, 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 and more power that. to them because, yeah, yeah now that Lucas Nath is a, a Broadway fixture, now that. Um, Taylor Mack has a show on Broadway. Like more people will be exposed to them forever as a result. So I guess great- yeah, my question though is like with with Lucas, I kind of can see because he's writing, he's writing plays that are going to be done regionally. He's like his style. I mean, Taylor's style is super downtown, and it's definitely yeah. an acquired and it's taste. Classic, yeah, well, even like here. H uh, I R, which was at Playwrights Horizons, which was a big hit and got raves, which I didn't particularly like it, but I've only heard of one of that's kind of his most conventional play. Mm-hmm. I've only heard of one other production at, uh, I think Steppenwolf did it. Yes. I don't remember who started it, but Amy Wharton directed it. Like, I don't see many people doing, many companies doing Gary. No, the set alone makes it prohibitive. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my question is for Taylor, like he, he's got his genius award. He's got the Pulitzer nomination, right? Yes. He was a finalist. He was finalist. He's got like, you you know, like, I don't know that he needed to be on Broadway. I mean, granted it did get, you know, it did become a critic's darling, so it's certainly not going to harm his career, but I don't know what it could necessarily do beyond what he's already what, what he's already done with his career. You know, do you know what I mean? Help him do other weird esoteric things and later on. Help him get commissions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, he's the one who benefits the most from this. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I just feel like, wouldn't that have already been there with the MacArthur and with the Pulitzer? Yeah, I'm sure he was doing fine yeah he was this. never a, a voice in the world of theater i was concerned about <laughs> you know they, i mean that's you know i'm just so that's kind of why i'm like well 
you know, and why not the, the, the history of music in 24 hours or whatever that was, that was a big hit. Why didn't that just move? Cause at least it sounded kind of like a party. Because it was 24 hours long. Literally 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. But then it becomes an event. Yeah. I guess it could only have a short run. Yeah. I, it was probably not finan- like financially feasible. Like they I guess. Yeah. Not- yeah. That's my guess. Maybe well, there were union issues cause it was 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Broly didn't need Gary, so. Mm. Yeah, and we'll talk momentarily about, you know, how some of these awards have gone. But, um, no, this is uh, Emperor's New Clothes as far as I'm concerned. Same. So, hey, Socrates, tell me about Socrates. Oh. Go ahead, Alyssa. Okay, so I want to preface this by saying that I'm not even a- – exaggerating i nobody's gonna come close to me when i say this but i am i am michael stubarg's biggest fan i've i've talk tell tell our listeners more about michael's credits his I, uh, so michael stubarg if for anyone who doesn't know he um was timothy chalamet's father in call me by your name he was also in the Post, The Shape, Shape of Water. Water. He got a Golden Globe nomination for A Serious Man. The he um, movie. was Arnold Rothstein in Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. Um, he was Emmy nominated for The Looming, the Looming Tower. Tower. Um, got his start in the theater, though. But Came got his start in the theater. theater in I mean, really doing small downtown things, a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of stuff at the public. Uh, he got a Tony nomination and should have won for The Pillow Man back in 20, uh, 2006. Which, no just... Brilliant in that. Oh, really? Yeah, no hyperbole. It's one of the best plays I've seen, and this is one of the it's best performances. Play. Yeah, yeah, it's probably one of my favorite performances of all time, and my favorite play of all time. Um, oh, maybe Over Angels. Not Over Angels in America, but... <laughs> um, one of my favorite productions, certainly. But... Uh, so, yeah, I'm his biggest fan. He's my favorite actor. But he has not done theater since he did Hamlet in the park in 2008. That was his last. Wow, that was his last? Oh, uh, yeah. Second to last, right? No, that when was, was his last. Was... No, Boise oh. Inheritance was before gotcha. then. Um, but that was his last time on stage, I think, anywhere. He was supposed to do something in Williamstown, but dropped out to do a movie. He's just like, I mean... I think right after that, he got Boardwalk Empire, and he's just become a really reliable and prolific character actor. Um, I mean, he was even in Doctor Strange. Like, he's he's in a lot of things. He's, <laughs> yeah, he, he is, is working, he, he and good is for him. He is what they refer to as the real thing. Yeah, and good for him. And, you know, every time he's has a sort of a bigger role in something, you'll see a, a article come out that says, oh, the best actor you don't know about or Michael Suberg's the best actor you don't know about. And it's like, okay, how many times? I mean, he should have won. He should have won an Oscar. Uh, he should have been nominated for an Oscar. For and then one. Call me by your name. Um, he was also great in the shape of water. So he's back on the New York stage in Tim Blake Nelson's Socrates, which was a role that was written for him. They know each other from uh, drama yeah, school, Tim, right? Tim Blake Nelson and, and he have been friends for like 25 years from Juilliard. Um, and it's at the public. And when it was announced, I was like, this can't possibly be about Socrates, right? It's just like 
the title and it's going to be something subversive and kind of uh, idiosyncratic because it's Tim Blake Nelson. No, this thing <laughs> is about Socrates. Uh, it's three hours of Socrates. Um, yeah, and it might be three hours too long. <laughs> yeah, it's three hours, maybe three hours plus. Um, we both saw it, and we saw it separately, but had the same experience, which is this is a terrific performance from a terrific actor um, holding up a unnecessarily heavy play like Atlas. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's built around him, and he's great. Michael's great. Um, I wish he had, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I wish he had, he had more to do. I wish that it stretched him a little bit. Yeah. Um, because, as you would expect from a play about Socrates, he has a lot of long-winded, dense monologues about, like, he talks about what virtue is and what is death. Yeah, and He's very um, wise. He's, he's very, very wise. stoic. And that's not necessarily dramatic. Right. So you're watching, you know, he talks for, like, ten minutes at a clip. And um, and he, he's very, Michael's very impressive, but it's not... There's no nothing dynamic about it. Yeah. I mean, it's lit very dimly, the whole space. The set is... Everything is dark. <laughs> They're in togas. Um, the rest of the cast is fine, but they all sort of... They're all double and triple cast, so nobody really makes an impression, would you yeah, say? Yeah, I would say that, yeah. Um the direction is Doug Hughes did it, correct? Yes. Doug Hughes directed it, and it's nothing to write home about. It's just basically a bunch of men standing around looking at Socrates and watching him speak. Um, it's it's so it's a it's chore. So boring. <laughs> I don't, and you know, no, but I, I'm I'm being sort of unfair to it, but because the problem is that. The ending's inevitable. We know that he is we'll going to drink hemlock. the hemlock, which, <laughs> let me tell you, it takes him, like, 20 minutes to die. Like, <laughs> like he drinks it, and it's, like, 20 minutes later, he's dead. That's how, lo like, long and drawn out these this show is. But, so, we know he's going to drink the hemlock. We know he's going to die. So, you have to really you know, compel the audience. You have to find some surprise in something that's not surprising. And, and I don't, Tim Blake Nelson does not, it's very much like, and then this happened and then this happened, but also it's like not really concerned about his biography, which is obvious because who really knows anything about Socrates? Like he has a wife and kids in this play. And we're like, Socrates was married. Like, and his wife is the only woman in the cast. And she sort of comes in too little, too late. She tries to be the emotional crux of the play, but she sort of enters from a different play altogether. Um, so it's really not, there's no surprise. There's no conflict. There's no, nothing compelling. I'm trying to think of like a play that you know the ending to. A Man is, for All Seasons? Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess. Like, or even like Wolf Hall. It's like we mm-hmm. know, we know Anne Boleyn is gonna get beheaded by the end of part two, but um, Jeremy Heron did such a great job of still surprising us, still drawing us in. Yeah. Yeah, well, we make it cool. weaving, weaving a really dramatic narrative. Like, even as we get closer to the idea that, oh, Socrates will, you know, be convicted and sentenced to death, like, the stakes don't increase so the way a no drama stakes, does. Yeah. And then there's, like, there's a minor plot point where they're like, oh, we're going to, like, try to smuggle him out, and he's very noble, and he's like, no, I have to die, I have to die. Um, and you're like, well, this doesn't matter. He's going to die. Like, we know. And then also, he's like 70 by the time of his death. And I'm like, well, you lived a good life. Like, that's a long life. Just drink it and be done with it. Like, <laughs> um, But it's, it's, and it has a very strange, it has two strange framing devices. Um, where like Plato is telling, is narrating the story of Socrates' life to a younger kid but then it's also there's another the way they actually frame the trial right yeah so like the trial is happening and then we flash back to yeah the the time jumps don't work at all in, in this production no it doesn't it's it's just it's not a good play um you know, see it for Michael. It's disappointing. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad I got to see him in something again. Uh, I've been waiting so long. I didn't see Hamlet, but I've been waiting at least like. You've been waiting over a decade yeah, to see him. Well, uh, you got to see a lot of him. He's on stage for three hours, and who knows when we'll get him again. I know, I know. Um, I'm sure he's doing a million other things after Socrates. I mean, I wish, like, like I always say, it's like. He would have made an amazing Torvald in A Doll's House Part 2. He's, Opposite Laurie Metcalf. Uh, he's about 14 years younger than her, 13, but who cares? He grows a beard. Look, he played a 70-year-old Socrates. It's true. He's old as time and forever young. <laughs> like, just, like, there are other roles that are like, oh, he would have been amazing in this. But I guess he's making, he's making Hollywood money. Mm. So, good for him. But, I guess, yeah, I guess see. It's selling really well because I couldn't get a ticket for a long time. It was hard to find the one seat I did get. Um, but if I can't even say, like, see it for Michael. But if you love Michael Stubart, see it. If not, just don't go. <laughs> I think It's so sad to say it. Like I think you summed it up well, though. Yeah, you did. Like... I, at intermission, I was like, maybe I would leave, but I know it's him. Like, Wow. Yeah, I didn't leave. I saved the little thing. You're a trooper. Yeah. You sure are. All right. So, okay, so that's the sort of <laughs> end of the season there. The end of the season. And I guess, should we give our thoughts on the season in a nutshell? Yes. Um, I think it was... It was kind of hard to come up with my top 10 of the year just because I was like, there were a lot of plays that were, there were a lot of shows that were fine, but nothing like that blew me out of the water. Even like, I thought I listed like Oklahoma as my top show of the year, the season, but I was like, 
does it really compare to like Angels in America last year or um, Adult House? Adult House Part Two or Hades Town or the Off Broadway Hades Town um, or some of the other things that I've loved in the past? No, um, but I think it was it was an exciting season on on paper for me because I had Michael Stubarg was back. I had a new Lucas Nath play with Laurie Metcalf. There was a new Susan Laurie Parks play. Um, the Ferryman, which I love Jez Butterworth's work. Um, Tony Yazbek was in two shows, which was nice. Two official uh, shows and two then some other shows. Together. And then, yeah. yeah. So I got to see him four times this season. But, okay, so the things that you're listing on but, paper as, as some of our, like, go-to, like, great working performers, but there was a very, with a couple exceptions, very little in the sense of discovery, in the sense of a great new voice, a bright uh, new star, with exceptions. Yeah. And I think you're about to talk about a couple of those. Yes, no? Well, there were there was, like, things that surprised me in a good way. Like, I didn't expect Tootsie to be as good as it was or for me to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, and share. share. Oh, yeah, the share show, I really didn't. I was I went and I was like, I'll go, but I'll complain the entire time. And then I was like, damn it, I'm having fun. Uh. Uh, and it's so much fun. And it really deserves It got, like two or three Tony nominations, but really, like, it deserved so much more, um, especially Michaela Diamond and Jared Spector. They deserve Tony yeah, nominations. Yeah, who are, respectively, the youngest of the three shares and the Sonny Bono in the in the show. Well, like, and here's the thing they that... They were done dirty. Yeah. Here's the thing that bothers me about, like, the narrative among all of the... I don't know, the the hive mind, the, the some critics and fans and whatever else makes up the general internet consensus. So we had two big Broadway jukebox musicals this year, right? One was yeah. Ain't Too Proud for The mm-hmm. Temptations, and the other was Trash. The Share Show. And one is basically considered a success. Ain't Too Proud got, what, 12 Tony nominations? Yeah. It was yeah. Um, this is a poorly written, poorly adapted, poorly designed. poorly designed, poorly choreographed, and in some ways poorly acted show that no one has really talked about why those things maybe versus the share show, which I think is the complete opposite. I think you have, I, I would say, four solid lead performances because I would include all three of the shares and Jared Spector. I think, I think, yes, as uh, Bob Mackie, I think the costumes are unparalleled. I think a lot of the set, yeah. Um, The direction overall, I think is winning. I think it's it's because, I think it's because Cher, you immediately think of campy or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something tacky or, um, or, or not as relevant, not as important, not as urgent, that sort of thing. So I think it was, and you know, people, she, she has a big following, but it's sort of a cult following. Would you say that? I mean, I'm not, maybe. It's not a cult following, but it's a very homogenous kind of group that, that loves her. Yeah. It doesn't cut across swaths and that's what you have to do to somehow be a success. And I, and. Or at least to be critically acclaimed. Her hits, other than like Believe and. They're not canonical. They're not canonical. Like, I mean, every song in Ain't Too Proud, you know. You but know? but this production does nothing to bring them to life no, theatrically. No, I mean, they, like, walk across the, 
stage and they like sing shout and I was like, oh, that's it. They like literally are just like shout. They don't shout. even shout. Like, like, shout. I was like, is that the end of shout? Like, are we never getting it? Like, there's no moment that nothing rises above it ain't too proud because only except um the song that Jeremy Pope does right. Which one does he do? It's is it in Act Two, right? Yeah. Act Two. That's like the only scene that really like rises above because every number is direct is staged and directed as a Temptations number where they're in a line and yeah. They've got, like, a conveyor belt set. They, they just all move five in a row. So nothing, like, rises above. Where the is costuming like, is drab. It's yeah, not pleasant in, to look at. No. They're wearing gray suits. They're wearing gray suits. So much gray. But, I mean, Cher is, like I said, it's fun. It's colorful. It's a little bit tacky. It's, it, like, it's tongue-in-cheek. It, it embraces who she has been yeah, in her own career, but I though, think perfectly. That it takes a lot for people to take jukebox musicals seriously. And I think Cher... A lot of people don't take her seriously. She's sort of become a caricature of herself. People, the music, I mean, people know some of the songs, but like, you know, how many people know Dark Lady? In that audience, a lot. Beyond yeah, that, not that many. Yeah, but beyond that, you know, mm. it's not when you go see Beautiful. It's not, or, no, no, but that's the thing. And Beautiful is like the quintessential so example think, of like, they hit these songs that were popular. The audience goes, Ooh, and then they give you a very elaborate staging of yeah. every number that pops. And Into Proud never did that, not once, I think. And Cher Show did that routinely with more thought put into it than I think it was given credit for. So it's like the the narrative of the season is people are kind of uh, lemmings about what they will, will fall for or turn yeah. back against. Okay, so on that note, I want to talk about a... <laughs> forgotten musical of this season that deserved better because it wasn't nearly as bad as everyone said and I actually had a lot of fun and enjoyed myself getting the band back together. Look, was it great? No. It was sort of like Rock of Ages meets The Wedding Singer. Um, I still remember some of the songs more than I do from The Prom. Yeah. Um, but it had... But I mean, people people just had their pitchforks out before the first seat, the first preview started. Um, like I said, it wasn't perfect, but I had a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I agree. I liked. It. I I went in expecting it to to feel laborious, and I realized halfway through Act One that I was really enjoying it, and it was it actually it cohered better than a lot of the other um, books of the musicals this season did, including The Prom and Be More Show. Um, but, but people like had it on their ass that this was a show that did not deserve to be on yeah. Broadway. And I'm like, but I could say that about three quarters of the shows that have yeah, made it to Broadway. I don't really understand. It was like, it's it a hive mind. didn't belong on Broadway, but it also, it didn't have, it wasn't starring anybody who right, there was no name. It, it wasn't, wasn't based on anything YA that had, could build traction. It wasn't a jukebox thing. Like the head over heels had the go go yeah, music, it didn't, but it also like, wasn't like time quote unquote timely. It was like, and the other criticism was how white it was. It was very white. It was very straight. It was very male, but like, it didn't deserve what it got. Like it, it was like I said, Certainly better no, than became... Pretty Woman and King Kong. I enjoyed it more than The Prom. I enjoyed it more than Ain't Too Proud and Hades Town. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, but and it became a laughing and stock. And over heels. And it's like, based on what criteria does a group of people that are supposed to know what they're talking about when it comes to theater and make these think, choices? Like, weirdly, like, I think people were like, we want to take Ken Davenport down for some reason. But last season, we thought... Once, Once on, on the, the silent, silent was the greatest thing we've ever seen. Right. So, so which is it? Is this guy doing God's work or is he doing <laughs> the devil's work? I mean, like, he's the same person. So, um... You know, it's a rich producer flaunting his money and putting stuff on the stage, but isn't Scott Rudin doing that, too? Like, what, Well, that's what, what they all do. Yeah. That's right. So, so let's not try and bring a show down because we dislike this person we don't really know. Um... So, yeah. But in terms of other surprises, um, Usual Girls was a big That's surprise. That's the one I was really By Ming of. Pfeiffer. It was at the Roundabout Underground. Um, they just call it Roundabout Underground, right? Their, their black box. Um, yeah, and- uh, yeah, a new playwright um, who I think, and I'll defer to you, um, I think in a very compelling, dramatic way, really nailed the experience of what it's like to grow up as a woman and what it's like to be an adolescent, a young woman, and how the experiences form and follow you into adulthood. Definitely. I think it was really um, the most honest play when it came to, like, what it means to be a girl and a woman. And also, um, Ming Pfeiffer uh, is half Asian. I know she is Asian. I don't know. And her character and the lead character, played by Midori Francis, who is amazing. The whole cast is amazing. Um, Is half Asian in the play, so it it also talks about... um, Basically, the play is about how women are always sexualized from the time they're, like, five years old to... And then couple in with how... You know, racism plays a part in sexualization through racism and um, just that, like, no matter what we women do in their lives, it's always there. Everything is always going to be sexualized. People are always going to see them as sexual beings. Um, It was really well done, really smart play, really well acted. I hope Roundabout does something with it or somebody takes it and does something with it. Roundabout is really terrible about developing new works like I, I mentioned the humans before Scott Rudin had to come and rescue that one from yeah. roundabout mm. just they don't they just don't do anything and they have this underground which um I more often than not I think the plays are pretty good yeah I mean that's, that's probably like a 50-50 coin toss for me but they're at least trying to you know it's at least trying to do something as opposed to like the stuff that's at the Laura Pelzer yeah, on Broadway. Um, and I'll, I'll second that. I think for me, Usual Girls is definitely one of the best plays of the season. And um, my critics organization, the Drama Desk, uh, nominated it for Outstanding Play. And also the actress, Alyssa mentioned Midori Francis for Best Actress. So good on us. Um, and one other cast member that we didn't mention, Abby Corrigan, is also, I think, really dynamite. And for me, was one of the discoveries of the season. Um, and her character it also embodies that thing of, of um, 
the choices that you make in, in adolescence and how awkward they can be and, and how some of that also follows you uh, through the rest of your life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have a modicum of confidence that we haven't seen the last of this play. Um, I just hope we don't lose the playwright, Ming Pfeiffer, to Hollywood, to television, before we get a chance to see more of her work on the stage. I think she's writing an FX show, right? Yeah, but I hope maybe we can share her. <laughs> and was there any other, like, Well, surprise? the other discovery uh, I was going to say, after you. This is not... So, so Lewiston and Clarkston. Oh, that, that was... Yeah, okay. that's what I was going to say. By Samuel D. Hunter, who is a pretty established player. I wish he wrote more things. He wrote The yeah. Whale and... A Brand bright new Boise. He's not really, like, I don't know. Like, people liked The Whale, but I think he deserves to have a better career. He had a really big run. He was a MacArthur genius in the first part of the decade. Um, but has not yet, at least, uh, his name hasn't turned up in all those conversations, like all those hot playwrights, he's some of which we a, mentioned yeah, before. He's going to have a play at, the, at Lincoln Center. He's definitely one of my favorite he's, he's there. writers. So, um... He did. He wrote these two plays, Lewiston and Clarkston. Um, they played at the Rattlestick. Yes, the Rattlestick, a small downtown small, space. Small, um, and basically, it was a two-in-one night thing, and they were separated by uh, a communal meal, which Doug and I only got hummus and chips because <laughs> we went yeah, to that day. We saw a matinee, and had we gone to an evening performance on a weeknight, we would have gotten, like, a barbecue chicken dinner or something, right? But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is, like, a three-and-a-half-hour really, event. It was an intimate, it was very intimate. You know, they were right up against you. Um, you really felt like you were in the room with them. And what is it? I mean, the audience numbered, like, 30 people max Probably, for any performance. Yeah. Um, I love plays with different... Uh, cast. I thought the acting overall was amazing. Uh, Arnie Burton, who is always, always amazing. One of one of New York theater's finest. Yeah, an incredible character actor who's done Peter and Starcatcher, Thirty Nine Steps, um, Governmental Government Inspector, The Explorers Club. He works a lot. He's hilarious. Can do anything. He's a man of many faces. Um, he's always that auxiliary character that literally wears a million hats in one <laughs> show. He's great. Uh, he was the standout for me in uh, Lewiston. But in Clarkston, which um, featured Noah Robbins, who has been around a while. He did... Um, Often plays younger, awkward, gangly he had a, children. He had a featured role in the third and fourth season of Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He was, he was her on, boss. Yeah. He was on the show Forever, which was an Amazon Prime series oh, yeah, with Maya that. Rudolph and he, Fred Armisen. He did Master Harold, uh, in the revival of Master Harold at the Signature a couple years ago. He was fantastic in that. He was very good in Clarkston. I think Clarkston was the stronger of the two. You disagree with me. I think it's the more. I think it's the one that's easier to sit through and that hits all the emotional buttons. I think I, I guess, like, like the other Seawall one better. Seawall Life, right? Yeah. Like Seawall Life at the public, like. With Jake Gyll with Tom Sturridge and Jake Gyllenhaal respectively, everybody, which I really liked, everyone gravitated towards the Jake Gyllenhaal one, right. written by Nick Payne. But I just think it was 
easier to digest. I think it's, yeah, I think it was exactly that. But Clarkson, yeah, I think Clarkson's a lot more, it wears its heart on its sleeve more than Lewiston. Um, but the standout for me of the whole day, it was a long day. <laughs> They're both about an hour and a half, correct? Um, but with the break in between, it's, it's like, it's like a four or five hour day. Um, was Edmund Donovan, who's sort of the lead in Clarkson. Um, it's, it was the most authentic performance I saw this season. Uh, Definitely, I agree. Just so believable, so authentic, so genuine. Yeah, and he's an actor I had not known of before I, I know, saw I this. Um, and he's playing a character with who keeps a lot of things close to you know the vest and and deals with a lot of family strife and and secrecy and, and that sort of thing. And he played it so beautifully and so nimbly um, that I thought it was a, a really great achievement. And again, I'm happy to say. Uh, the play, Edmund Donovan, Arnie Burton, each got a Drama Desk nomination. And I also thought <coughs> uh, it should have won the Pulitzer this year. Yeah, it was not even among the finalists, but it, it is was one a Pulitzer. I mean, it was like Thornton Wilder esque. Yeah, it was. Um, and it's this type of plays that, or I, don't, I mean, I don't know if they can they even considered both together. I don't know how that worked, but. Um, it's the type of play that would have won the the Pulitzer like 20 years ago. 20, 25, yeah. Yeah, I think um, so. Can we talk about Pulitzers a little bit? Yeah. Okay. We are we are running this show. <clears throat> I didn't see Fairview because... Uh, they didn't allow they you to. They didn't allow me to. Um, I did see what the Constitution means to me and I saw Dance Nation. <clears throat> So Dance Nation is one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> well, Dance Nation, which in, in some ways is like a bookend to Usual Girls. It's about young women. Um, I can't. Claire Barron is the playwright. I can't. I can't. So first of all, it, I, mean, I don't really care for vulgarity. And this was so vulgar. Like, And there was one point where one of the characters has an incredibly vulgar monologue that I really wanted to just get up and leave because I was like I can't take this anymore yeah it was at that point when she said Doug I want to leave um for anyone who doesn't know it's about a dance a group of a dance group they're like 12 at the time but it's played they're all played by adult women um of varying ages of varying ages although like you know like but they could all pass except for one they could all pass for the actual age. Yeah, and betray. there's one boy in the class. Um, and they're very frank about sexuality, and one girl gets her period and wipes it on her face. Like, um, the P word is used a lot, pussy. <laughs> like, to an alarming degree. And Claire Barron has said that it's supposed to be like they're in conflict with their younger selves and their adult selves. And it's like, I don't believe any of this. It's a gambit that doesn't actually work. It doesn't pay off. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. Like, I think that, like, Blacks by Aziza Aziza Barnes. Barnes, that's now happening at MCC, like... Is a significantly better play, and Usual Girls is too, of like just showing like the lives of young women and like what they go through and what they experience and the feelings that they feel. 
I actually really like Blacks, so that's a recommendation. Um, <laughs> Currently playing at the MCC Theater. Um, whereas, like, Dance Nation, it's like, this is really just a lot of nothing. I I still don't really get any of it. It didn't work for me. Um, but I'm not surprised it was a, I'm not surprised it was a Pulitzer oh, nominee. You called it the I second did. the I day we saw it. Um, what the Constitution means to me, I liked. I don't think it's a play. I think it's a TED Talk. I don't think there's um, anything dramatic about it. It's certainly not a Pulitzer-worthy play. Right. Like, it's theatrical, but it's not a play. Right. And, and I, I And it's a TED Talk. It's, it's a presentation. It's not a play. Um, I didn't see Fairview again. Um, but I wonder, what I know about Fairview, I wonder about, again, um, the script thing. Like, they read the script of Fairview and deemed it Pulitzer-worthy? You know? Right. Or, or did they just go on what felt like it was appropriate right. in the zeitgeist? But it was three women, so that's cool. I was surprised that Jeremy O'Harris didn't figure into it. Um... Because people seem seem to like. I, do people actually like him, or do we say that we're supposed to like him and he's the next best thing? And he goes to the Met Gala and he's on What We Do in the Shadows. Like, I don't. Is he in it for the playwriting, or is he in it for the fame? What do you think? Mm, playwriting may be a nice stepping stone to larger things. I don't know. I know. I I like don't really know. I like Daddy. I didn't get to see Slave Play, but. I don't really, like, nobody is, everyone's like, oh, here's this playwright who's, like, you know, subverting everything, and he's the next great thing. But it's like, but then people see his plays, and they're like, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think what we see a lot of in the last, especially two to three seasons, is uh, playwrights that may not have the most mature or sophisticated or trenchant writing skills, but they do a lot of in-your-face things, and if they happen to be from these sort of what we call minority voices, like women playwrights or people of color or whatever that need a boost, we give them that boost yeah. without really accurately reflecting what the work is. And, it was, and that's what we uh, accept. And I was also glad that To Kill a Mockingbird wasn't nom- I'm nominated. Um, for Best Play. Keep well, in not mind. Best Play, but Pulitzer. But also, oh, for the Pulitzer. Here's the thing about it not being nominated for Best Play. It should have been nominated for Best Play. It should have been nominated over Gary. It should have been nominated over Ink. I didn't mind Ink as much as you did, I think. I think Ink is just mediocre. I mean, Ink is really, like, lying to people. Because it is not about Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) That's really the problem with Ink. But, yes, To Kill a Mockingbird should have been nominated. I don't think there was a great conspiracy against it. It got nine nominations, including a Best Score nomination. I think I think To Kill a Mockingbird is still going to be one of the big stories of the season. I think it will likely be the play that wins more Tonys than gets, anyone else. I still think it'll win Jeff actor, Daniels. featured actress, score, director, score, ooh, uh, director um, probably lighting. I don't think it's going to get set. Lighting... It could win costumes because yeah. it's nominated against like Torch Song and the Ferryman, yeah, which is just a bunch of jeans. Um, I don't think I think it was just a matter of they like these other things more, and they I, also like nom. You know, it probably was like 
came down to just a few votes. Yeah, I don't think it was a snub because the show is really represented very well. I do think what could have happened is similar to the Nathan Lane thing for uh, Love, Valor, Compassion mm-hmm. in the 90s, which is everyone assumed To Kill a Mockingbird was going to get in. So when they did their balloting, they pushed their other favorite children to make sure they got one of the other uh, nominations. And that's how stuff like Choir Boy or Gary probably got in, because everyone took for granted that everyone else was going to do To Kill a Mockingbird, and maybe not everyone else put To Kill a Mockingbird in. Just a theory. Yeah, but also going, you mentioned Nathan Lane, it is interesting that Gary got seven nominations. In- including two, two acting nominations. Uh, which um, should have been Joan Allen and Mercedes Rule, but, um, and no Nathan Lane. I mean, I'm not surprised because that category was stacked. Like, Michael Urie should have been nominated. The he torch should, song. He yeah. should be winning this category. Um, I do think Jeremy Pope deserved to get in there. Um, for Choir Boy. For Choir Boy. He's a double nominee because he's but also nominated for Into Crab. I think it was a matter of, like, let's nominate other people. But also it's like you, get, you nominate everything else in Gary and didn't nominate Nathan Lane. I mean, he has three. I'm not crying for him, but I thought that was And he'll be back. Not worried. Um, the other snubs, or not snubs, the other things that I was... Kind of bummed about in the plays, like I said, Michael Yuri. Uh, I thought Hillary and Clinton deserved better. Um, I was surprised about Glenda Jackson, but not really bummed because that because she was in King Lear and you hated this. I King hated Lear. King Lear, but um, the one thing I was pleased about is the lack of Be More Chill nominations. Oh, I was, we can go. Okay. Can oh, go I'm sorry. I didn't know if I you were. Finished. Oh yeah. Is there anybody, anything in else play? in plays? Mm. Joan, like I said, Joan Allen, Mercedes Rule, I would have nominated them. Um, but pretty much nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the network adaptation, Cranston is really where all the attention went. Yeah, I mean, I hope on Hope got nominated for the most direction. Right. Yeah. I would have liked to see, uh, like, one of the men from the Ferryman nominated, like Tom Glenn Carney. Um, that category is weak. Yeah, featured actor in a play is it's very weak. oddly um, fallow. Brandon Urano, it would be my choice there, but I think it's going to go to Bertie Carvel. We should we should do our predictions in a couple weeks. <laughs> we will. We will commit but, uh, them to paper but, and internet. Yes. Um, and for the musicals, yes, I was very happy about the lack of Be More Chill. I mean. That seems like they collectively were just... That seems like a real snub. ...wiped their hands of it. And it's actually kind of surprising. Like, I think the score thing was a given, um, but... The only nomination it got was for score, which went to six instead yeah, of five. Yeah, given that it went to six, like, it wasn't the given that I thought it was going to be. I was happy that George Salazar was not nominated, because I think it's an incredibly overrated It's the most ballyhooed performance, uh, performance of the season. Um... I thought it would get Best Musical over uh, Beetlejuice, but I'm glad that it didn't. I was happy about that. Um, I would have liked to see Oklahoma get more representation in the acting. I think Rebecca Naomi Jones deserved to get in. I thought, um, I guess I thought Patrick Vale, although I liked um, James, James Davis. James Davis. James Davis and Wilbur a little bit more, but I would have liked one of those guys to get in. Um, 
I don't know about the two guys from Ain't Too Proud. They're both good, but like, I would have liked to see John Bellman uh, and Red Rogers and Tootsie. Um, like I said, more. George Salazar, um, Corbin Blue. I, I would have liked to have seen Leslie Kritzer get in for. Beetlejuice. I too. I think Lily Cooper gets in there for Tootsie, but I think that's a leading role, and I think that um, she's not. It's not a particularly strong role. She's fine in it. She gets saddled with the worst song in the show, and the worst scene in the show. That gone, gone, gone number. Um, I was surprised to see her nominated. I probably would have nominated Leslie Kritzer over her. Um, I don't know about Eva Noblezada getting in. I would have liked Sophie Ann Caruso. Or Rebecca Naomi Jones. Or Rebecca Naomi Jones. Um, who else is in that category? Kelly O'Hara, Stephanie J. Block, Eva Noblezada, Kelly, oh, is it Kelly Um, oh, Beth Level and Kaylee Turner. Yeah, uh, prom. Nah, I don't really know what Beth Level is doing in the prom. Uh, it feels like a glorified featured role. Whatever. I'm glad that Brooks Ashmankis. Ashmankis. What Brooks, as we call him around here, got in. Uh, it's his second nomination. I've been a fan of his. Nice. It's nice that Will Chase didn't get in. <laughs> For Kiss Me Kate. For Kiss Me Kate. Yeah. Um, it's nice that Reed Carney did not get in. For Hades Town. Um, I, I thought the nominations this year were pretty okay. Yeah, I mean, they certainly represent the season, for better or worse. Uh, yeah, once I saw that Be More Chill, which to me is one of the most does not belong uh, as a professional show at all, shows I've ever seen. Um, once I saw that it was largely out of the awards conversation... I was like, I could take a lead just yeah, about anything else. And, you know, like we've talked about this. They've created a new rule. Last year they created this new rule of, well, if we can have five cat, five nominees in the category, which it goes to five if there's nine, nine or more potential nominees. So, I mean, there's going to be nine plays or nine musicals in any given season um, between revivals and, and musicals. So... So if they can, if they go to nine, if they have more than nine, they can have five things in it, five nominees in a category. So that leaves us with like all of these shows having 10, 11, 12 nominees, nominations. And it's like, well, yeah, the, the, suddenly really the story it's telling like, is, is very different than like what the crowd got set because it's like you just liked the show and you just voted across down the, down the board. Right down the line, board. yeah. Like, it was especially awful last year when we had four shows and all of them had like 14 nominations. Yeah, yeah, they just showed up in every category. Yeah. So it's kind of like anticlimactic because everything gets nominated now for everything. But uh, I'm ha- very happy to be with this. Very happy for Eddie Perfect because a lot of like. Bless you. Bless Thank you. you. We have two Broadway shows. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty okay with nominations. Yeah, and we'll uh, we're gonna do our predictions and we'll see uh, how our, our winners turn out. But but yeah, so for those of you who are looking to see stuff that's actively running right now, 
I would say Tootsie and Oklahoma and The Share Show. And Alyssa would say yes to all of those. And also to a show called Blacks, spelled capital B-L-K-S, playing off-Broadway. Yeah. Right? Whew! And that's, in a nutshell, but the largest nutshell you've ever seen, uh, our take on this season in New York theater. Whoa, wild, wacky season. Yep, we'll just wait and see what the next one has. Yeah, so um, hit us up on Facebook, uh, Back on the Block Pod. Yep, and uh, if I could interject for one sec, I'll also be posting later this week um, for the day job. I did a cover story on um, mental health, on mental wellness in the arts, speaking to a bunch of professionals as well as some uh, performers and stage managers in the biz, uh, sort of all facets of, of that topic. And I'm very proud of it. So I will be posting that for, uh, for you guys to read oh, as well. Fabulous. Um, and yeah, and between Alyssa's diligent observations and, and all of the entertainment we provide, I think the best thing you can do is to go to iTunes and give us five stars. Yeah, nothing less. And that's about it. We thank you guys for uh, listening, as always, and uh, wish you a great week. And then in a week from now, we will see you not just on the block, but also back on the boulevard. I believe we're going to have an important Game of Thrones uh, post We're going to Westeros, guys. There's a, if there's ever been a show that deserved the term post-mortem more, I don't know what it is. I don't think there is one. So, so that's coming up in a week. And until then, we will see you guys back on the block. <laughs>